0: Hello friends, it's Bill Allen. I'm getting a little bit of a late start and I apologize for the technical problems, but I've had a few today. And so we're gonna try to do the best that we can here. And I may be moving around a little bit on you to try to get away from some of the bright lights. Um, And uh, we'll see how this all works. And uh, unfortunately, technical problems do happen and that's what uh, i've been through going through right now but maybe that will work and so welcome welcome to uh, bill's uh facebook study it is um uh tyler texas west Irwin church of christ and it's thursday afternoon at a little after 3 p.m. sorry about being late but i wanted you to know that i am uh, continuing my study we began this past tuesday working uh, through some of the psalms and a great study through uh, the psalms calls to prayer and praise and it's wonderful to see uh, some folks that are already joining us Uh, my cousin gail is here great to see you jackson great to see you my old buddy Cho from uh, San Antonio days and Oklahoma Christian days. And I believe I saw Dr. Lynn Anderson checking in as well, who is an expert on the Psalms, having lived them and uh, written about them. And what a great blessing you have been to me personally, brother, and to so many others. Uh, Nice to see Cindy and Eric joining in and others will be joining us as well, I'm sure. And so I'm excited that uh, we're able to spend some time together today um, with the book of Psalms. Uh, a little bit of review, uh, what we did on Tuesday as we introduced this study and began this study, there were some things that we shared. There are 150 Psalms, uh, as you likely know, um, and they're divided up into five books like the, the uh, Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, And so we see, we saw that um, they contain the shortest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 117. We read that whole chapter on Tuesday, Uh, just a a very short uh, passage of scripture that speaks about um, the call to praise the Lord, and we'll see that uh, chapter again down the line. And also uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, and we mentioned on Tuesday that uh, that is... Uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is, um, incredibly enough, about the Word of God. Uh, And I think that's not uh, by uh, accident. And so we're going to continue to introduce this study today, and then next week we'll be diving into some psalms of praise and worship. Uh, Looking forward to that. Glad to see some more folks joining in, including my good friends Lenny and Joe Allard. Uh, yeah, I was a little bit late today because uh, couldn't get my uh, laptop to work right. So I'm talking into my cell phone, and here's hoping that it doesn't ring and go off in the middle of everything. And if it does, we'll just go with that. How about that? Uh, that'll that'll work. Um, so uh, a few things about the Psalms. Remember that it's a song book and also a prayer book. The Psalms are are uh, songs and prayers that were a part of the Jewish worship. And they were—they're um, wonderful for us as well. So much of the New Testament, uh, quoting the Old Testament, are uh, from the Psalms. The majority of of Old Testament quotes are from the Psalms. Certainly, the Psalms was the uh, favorite book of the writer of the Book of Hebrews, whoever that was. Uh, they sure liked the Book of Psalms because they quoted from it a lot, uh, and others have as well. Those those early sermons about Jesus uh, after his resurrection and ascension, uh, talking about how he was going to be um, raised from the dead and how God would not allow him uh, to remain in the grave and how he was the Son of God and David uh, called him his Lord, even though David was uh, far his ancestor. So it's uh, interesting to be able to go through these and we'll talk a little bit more about the types of psalms But I want us to begin today uh, mentioning something that we just uh, barely mentioned on Tuesday because we didn't have time, and that is the headings of the Psalms. Uh, Those are just kind of weird. Uh, You look at some of the Psalms around Psalm 50, Psalm 49 says it's for the director of music uh, of the sons of Korah, so it says a little bit about uh, what it was, and what it was used for and and who was behind it, who wrote it, a psalm of asaph, psalm fifty, which is a very a very uh significant psalm that speaks about true religion that we'll look at uh, down the line a little bit in our study. But if you have your Bible and you have it open to psalms, look at psalm fifty one uh This is a great example of of the headings of the psalms, only about a hundred of the psalms have them, so that's Uh, you know, what is that, two-thirds of the psalms? And so there's a a high percentage that have them. Not all of them have them, but uh, the majority do. And so what do you do with those? Uh, What do you do with those? Well, a a few things about them. Um, The headings sometimes indicate the type of psalm, how it's going to be used, perhaps whether it's a lament or a song of praise. Um, um, a prayer uh, that it's some psalms are just described as a prayer. Um, and, and they're not counted as inspired scripture. I don't think the Holy Spirit inspired the commentary of describing the psalm or including who it was written by or maybe what the context was. Uh, but as best we can tell, they're probably pretty accurate. I would figure that the Jewish uh, nation, as they looked at these Uh, probably uh, would have called out the ones that uh, weren't accurate, at least according to their understanding and their tradition. Uh, So again, it's not inspired scripture, but it probably is helpful in setting the context uh, for the psalm and the setting of the psalm. Um, For example, uh, Psalm 51 is one of those. The heading says, For the director of music, a psalm of David. And then it says this: When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And you you know that that's a significant event, and it's a very important thing that happened uh, in in King David's life. So you have to ask: Well, is this you know is this for real? Is this uh, something that really happened? And so one of the things about the Psalms that I think is especially significant is that to to really know for sure what the context is, um, you need to read it. (laughs) You need to read it. And uh, we don't always know specifically much information from the content, but a lot of times we do. And this Psalm, Psalm 51, is one of those that actually we do because it is something that is very significant. Obviously, the heading says that it was when David was confronted by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba. And we remember Nathan saying that story and, and then pointing to King David and saying, you are that man who took advantage of his neighbor. Um, and and David got it, and he repented to his credit. Well, when you read the content of Psalm 51, you realize, wow, that, that sounds like what he would have written. That sounds like what David likely would have said if this actually is the psalm that he wrote as he was, uh, after he had been confronted about his sin and had come face to face with knowing that that's what he had done and of course knowing that God knew that that's what he had done um, and so for David I, I again this heading not inspired scripture but very likely uh, accurate um, when you're reading the psalm for example if you're reading it in church for a scripture reading or at a bible study you don't need to read the headings part. Uh, that's helpful information, but it's probably not. It's more obtrusive. It'll get in the way of public reading. You can certainly note it and and be mindful of it. Uh, but they should not be read aloud if you're if you're uh, reading it in in a public worship service. Um, and there, as I said, there are some musical terms or suggestions or instructions in some of these. Uh, headings as well. For example, for the director of music or for the choir master. Uh, we see that in some of the psalms, including uh, psalms four through six. Uh, other headings give special instructions as to the musical instruments or the specific tunes. And we shouldn't be intimidated by that. I, I, hope, you, I hope you don't stay away from psalms, uh, some of the psalms that speak about instrumental music, simply because of that in the churches of christ most of you who are watching are from the churches of christ but perhaps some may not be and i know that there are some that aren't and and so you ask the question well bill the psalms talks a lot about musical instruments and uh, psalm 150 is one of those that you know t- has this big crescendo that builds up uh, praising god with all of the instruments and so we ask well doesn't that doesn't that justify us to use instrumental music in our worship assemblies today And I I think that's a a legitimate point and and should be considered, obviously, and we don't have to shy away from uh, considering it and thinking through it and and studying Scripture and responding to it. I can say that there's a lot in the Old Testament about the Old Testament worship that we don't include uh, in our worship today uh, on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb. Uh, we meet on Sunday. Sunday is not the Jewish Sabbath. That was the seventh day. Uh, we'll be talking about creation some in the Bible class that I'm teaching this Sunday morning. And and God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested and he blessed it. And then later on, the Jews would have uh, a law that said, you, you must respect uh, the Sabbath and keep it holy. Uh, and, uh, and so there were some important uh, guidelines that they had to follow and commandments about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Well, we don't have those anymore. Jesus demonstrated that in the Gospels uh, little by little as he did some things that was he was criticized for on the Sabbath, and he tried to help them put that back into the perspective that God wanted them to have. And then, of course, the resurrection occurred on the first day of the week, and we see, based on the New Testament evidence, that the church began to meet on the first day of the week rather than the seventh day, the Sabbath. So there's a lot in the Old Testament that we don't transfer into the New Testament, but it's still inspired scripture and it's still helpful for us to understand uh, God's will for us even today and how people communicated to God and how they worshiped him. And those things are very important and very meaningful uh, to us. So please don't shy away from those. Um, You'll find some certain terms that are probably musical terms like the term Selah, S-E-L-A-H, uh, that occurs in some of the Psalms, uh, in the in the text, not just the heading, but in the text of some of the Psalms. And again, that's probably a musical term, probably meant something, obviously meant something to the people who were hearing those Psalms uh, read or sung, um, but uh, doesn't have that meaning for us today. So again, that's one of those things that doesn't have to be read when you're reading uh, the Psalm. You can note it, uh, but you don't have to read about it. Um, There are several authors represented in the book of Psalms, and you're thinking, wait, wait, Bill, I thought David wrote the Psalms. Well, David wrote a significant number of Psalms, uh, over half of them, actually. But there were a lot of Psalms that we have in our book of Psalms that we sometimes refer to as the Psalter with a P, uh, that um, that were not written by King David. So who else wrote the Psalms? Well, Asaph is one of the ones that we mentioned just a few moments ago. He was a Levite, uh, which means that he was a descendant of Levi. Levi, one of the 12 sons uh, of Jacob. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob had the 12 sons and the daughter Dinah. And one of those sons uh, was Levi. And Levi became the priestly tribe. Uh, he be, he uh, was the Levitical tribe. In the days of Moses, the Levites were the ones who would help take care of the tabernacle and the things of worship. Uh, they were a tribe that was kind of set apart from the others. Um, and then within that tribe of Levi, one of the descendants of Levi uh, was a man by the name of Aaron. And he just happened to be the brother of Moses. And Aaron was called to be a priest and his sons after him would be priests of God. Well, not all Levites are priests because they're not all descended from Aaron, but all the descendants of Aaron are descended from Levi as well because Levi was Aaron's ancestor. All of that to say Asaph was one of those Levites, which means that he was had a very uh, a big part and a strong hand in handling some of the areas, uh, things regarding worship, Including some of the things that might uh, have contributed to the Jewish worship uh, at the tabernacle, and then other Levites later uh, with the temple as well. Uh, traditional headings credit Asaph of, of the author uh, as the author of several psalms, including Psalm 50 uh, that we mentioned a few moments ago. Others credited in the headings as being... Um, uh, uh, authors of some of the psalms are the sons of Korah. Korah was another Levite, according to First Chronicles. Uh, Solomon is actually given credit uh, for a couple of psalms, Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. Uh, Obviously, a royal psalm, and we may read Psalm 72, uh, at least a little bit of it a little later, and then also Moses, and we mentioned uh, the psalm, Psalm 90, that is attributed uh, to Moses, that great statement from everlasting to everlasting thou art God in the old King James Version. Um, and so some other things about, uh, about the Psalms as we continue on, and my goal is to quit at 3.30, and so we may not get to all the introductory stuff today, but we'll work on the, what we need to work on next week as we begin those Psalms of Praise as well. Uh, Psalms is a book of poetry. It's, it's a book of poetry, and I think that's uh, significant. Some of the psalms are acrostic, which means that as you go through the different sections or verses of the psalms, uh, they begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. For example, that longest psalm, Psalm 119, you'll notice that it's separated by uh, sections and paragraphs based on the Hebrew alphabet. That's an acrostic. Uh, and it goes on like that. Other psalms, such as Psalms 9 and 10 and 42 and 43, were likely, each of those were likely one psalm in the original, uh, and they too are acrostics. There are some great examples of parallelism. That's a significant thing to understand as you're reading some of the uh, uh, wisdom and devotional literature of the Old Testament, and psalms is part of that a wisdom and devotional literature. Uh, the Song of Solomon is another one. Um, the Book of Job is uh, considered wisdom and devotional uh, literature. Obviously, the Proverbs as well. And they and they use uh, different uh, literary tools uh, to share that. And one of those is parallelism. Uh, two things being spoken. Uh, uh, side by side or one after the other that are parallel. For example, in Psalm 18, verses four and five, Psalm 18, verses four and five, the cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of the grave coiled around me, the snares of death confronted me. Well, you might say, Bill, that's a little repetitious. Isn't that awkward? Well, not if you're writing poetry, not if you're writing a song, Uh, Or a prayer, uh, that's something that is uh, parallelism, and so different ways of saying the same thing. Parallelism can also be uh, sharing something that is actually opposite uh, to help us understand what something might mean. Uh, For example, in Psalm 1, the very first Psalm, uh, verse 6, Psalm 1, verse 6, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So you see how that's, uh, those two are uh, used in juxtaposition. So you have one where the Lord watches over the righteous and the opposite of that, the, the way of the wicked, uh, leads to destruction. In a sense, the Lord is watching over them too, but not for the same purpose. Uh, and so the psalmist is a, is a book of poetry and so it uses some of those kinds of things. Uh, and then there are psalms that have a refrain to them. Again, these these are songs, and so they have something like we would have a, a chorus. For example, in Psalm 118, at the very beginning of Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for He is good; His love endures forever. Let Israel say His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say His love endures forever. And then you have the body of the psalm, and then the psalm ends with these words. Guess what? In verse 29, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Well, if you were just writing a report or something, you would say, look, let's, let's cut a few of those out. And if you think that's bad, look at Psalm 136. Uh, I've heard people uh, criticize, be critical of contemporary Christian music because they say, oh, some of those songs, Bill, I kind of like them, but they just seem so repetitive. It's just like we're just singing the the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I get that. I understand that. And that may not be your preference, and that's okay. But understand, it's not unbiblical. In fact, it's actually very biblical. When you turn to Psalm 136, you're probably going to be really glad that we don't sing a song like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His love endures forever. You get the idea, right? Well, all through the rest of 26 verses, that's what happens. It's pretty much a responsive reading. I know some of us from a Church of Christ background may be a little bit uncomfortable with a responsive reading in church where you have a leader saying one thing and then the congregation answering back. This is likely what that was. It's likely uh, used as a responsive reading where you may have a Levite or a priest that is actually reading the first part and then the the, uh, congregation answers back for his love endures Forever, It's a very special thing, a very participatory thing where you have everybody participating. And of course we sing things in unison and sometimes we sing things back and forth where you may have an alto lead or you may have a soprano lead and, and uh, women and men perhaps and one echoing the other. Uh, that's what this kind of thing is. Um, and again, that's that's what poetry is all about. And it's not to be read and interpreted in the same way that other types of literature are. For example, you wouldn't read Psalms the way you read Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus is a very important book, and it's a book of the law, and it helps us to understand some of those things that are important to God, even still. Uh, it's not our law. Jesus has come and died on the cross, and and so we're not bound by those things, but we see a lot about the nature of God. In fact, uh, the second great commandment uh, the, of Jesus to love our neighbor as ourself is from the book of Leviticus. Uh, so we realize that there's value in all of those. But as you're reading, you should, I tell people, don't check your brain at the door just because you're reading Scripture. Uh, think through what you're reading and do your homework and consider what you're reading and, and how it's written, uh, because the law is a, a certain type of, of literary genre. Uh, if you're reading the book of Romans, you're gonna read it differently than you would the book of Psalms. If you're reading apocalyptic, such as Revelation or some passages in Daniel, you, you need to be aware of some of the characteristics of apocalyptic literature, such as very symbolic, if you don't get that in Revelation, then you're going to be lost. Uh, numbers are significant, and they mean something in the book of Revelation. And you have numbers like seven, a number of completeness that points toward God, or 10, or 12, uh, some of those, or the number six, uh, which is just a little bit of failure in trying to get to that number seven. Well, those things are all important to consider. How do we know that? Well, because they they have an apocalyptic, uh, they follow an apocalypse apocalyptic genre, and in the same way, so does the book of Psalms. The book of Proverbs obviously should not be read uh, the way you might read um, the book of Acts. Acts is narrative, and it's exciting in history, but Proverbs, sometimes there's no context. Each verse has its own uh, context, uh, and it's important to to consider those things and to uh, remember them. Um, and so Psalms is a book of uh, of poetry and it contains lots of different kinds of genres and it can, or uh, lots of different types of psalms. And so I want us to hold off here because I want us to begin on Tuesday next week. This is a good stopping point and it's about 3:30 Texas time. And so I I want us to be able to consider those types of psalms. And again, how do you know what kind of psalm it is? If it's a psalm of thanksgiving or a call to worship and praise or maybe a psalm of lament. How do you know what kind of psalm it is? Well, you read it. The content will tell you. You might get a hint from the heading, And again, since it's not inspired, you have to be careful there. But at the same time, it's likely accurate and it's likely helpful to understand uh, where that psalm is going. Again, like the psalm we read, Psalm 51, that is a, a penitential psalm. It's David pouring his heart out to God for forgiveness and if you've sinned uh, deeply and you, have, you have, are trying to put words into your prayers of, of penitence and seeking God's cleansing and forgiving and begging for his mercy to not leave you, uh, Psalm 51 is a great prayer for you to use. It's a great prayer uh, for you to, to have. Um, And so I mentioned Psalm 72, and so maybe that would be a good place for us to end today in just looking a little bit at one of those psalms that is a royal psalm. Some psalms have to do with the king and calling on uh, the king to be righteous, calling on God to bless the king and the nation, calling on other nations to not give him any trouble, such as Psalm 2 uh, says, uh, calls another royal psalm that we'll see down the line. And so this psalm, Psalm 72, is attributed to King Solomon. So I'll read a little bit of it, and as I do, you can listen and, and realize, yeah, that, that sounds like something that the king would, would write and that the king would pray. Uh, psalm 72, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. A great prayer for the leader of God's people, but a great prayer for our leaders today as well. And so again, that's, a, that's something that helps us to understand what was in the heart of King Solomon. If he is the writer of this, it wouldn't be surprising if he actually is, and that heading is completely accurate. But for any king and for any leader of God's people, any even civil leaders today, that's a very appropriate prayer. Uh, that God would bless them and that God would bless the people and the nation uh, that uh, they lead. We pray that for our leaders today, especially right now in the midst of such a difficult and polarized time, in the midst of an election year and a campaign that's really heating up and will continue to do so and over the next less than two months before the election. We pray for our leaders, and we pray for our nation, and we pray for our world. This Sunday, I'm beginning a new series in our sermon time on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., and that's on our website live stream, westirwin.com, under social media and resources, the live stream link. Uh, It's a new series I'm beginning entitled What I Believe and Why. And I begin with uh, the words taken from one of our great old hymns, this is my father's world. And the first thing where we're starting this coming Sunday is, I believe that this is still my father's world. And I believe that strongly and I hope and pray that you do as well. And like King Solomon, uh, we pray that God uh, would bless our land and bless our leaders, bless our people, and bless all of those around the world, because they're all, we're all created in the image of God. I look forward to next Tuesday. We'll finish out this introduction, and then we'll begin talking through, and praying through, and singing through at times, you know me, I'm going to sing some, uh, these wonderful hymns and psalms of praise. May God bless you, and all of your family and loved ones.